The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and today we're going to explore the potential of live commerce on television for e-commerce brands. Joining us is Ronald C. Pruitt Jr., who is the managing partner at the Boston Associates, which is a holding company focused on acquiring and growing category-defining premium consumer brands and companies in select markets. Built upon a proud heritage of advertising equity and enterprise globally, the Boston Associates partner with principled investors and passionate management to create long-lasting value. And today, Ronald and I are going to discuss whether live commerce will be imported from China. All right, here's the first part of my conversation with Ronald C. Pruitt Jr., the managing partner of the Boston Associates. Ronald, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. I always love speaking with you. Thanks for having me back. It's been years, I probably got three or four years, one of the first big week-long episodes I ever recorded. You and I talked about how direct response TV works, and you gave us an understanding of kind of the landscape of linear TV versus connected televisions. And here we are, four or five years later, still doing the same thing, same song and dance, both still wearing the same blue shirt, <laughs> but we have new things to talk about. So it's great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, blue shirts rule, particularly with podcasts, right? <laughs> we talked about a number of things when we first spoke. And I think with the advent of Roku and Hulu and all these other television-centric platforms taking off and CTV, it's having a renaissance much like live commerce is today. It's funny. I've been doing this podcast long enough now that some of the innovative marketing strategies that were like cutting edge that at least I was just learning about now I feel like are, are commonplace, right? Mm -hmm. You can programmatically buy media on television and you can put it on YouTube, Hulu, wherever you want, target demo, geo, specific pieces of content. It's crazy how easy it is now to buy television advertising on a direct response basis, on a programmatic basis. That kind of seems like commonplace now. Hey, if you can create the video, you could buy ads, you could put them on TV. It's amazing. Boom. Just like that. Absolutely true. I mean, podcasting has continued to grow sequentially much differently than CTV has or advertising or even live commerce. They seem to have their day and then fade out. But I think a number of them are having their renaissance like live commerce. 
I feel like people are just realizing that programmatic advertising and podcasting are together, where mm-hmm. our industry, podcasting, people think about always buying direct from either through an agency or going to the podcasters directly, which is a better deal for the podcasters. But in reality, you can get better reach and targeting with programmatic advertising. The media tends to be cheaper. We do a lot of that to grow our podcast. But there's some new innovations here in terms of the direct response and driving results. So you brought up the idea of live commerce. And I didn't realize that this was such a mainstay or something that's already been happening in China for a long time, but hasn't quite hit the states here. Talk to me about live commerce. What is it and where have we seen it pop up? It really started in its current form in China around 2015 and 2016. And I must say, I was one of those earlier marketers who jumped in early, too early, as it turned out in retrospect, because it never quite got going in the US and I'd say Canadian and probably European markets. In China, most of the large platforms like an Alibaba or Tencent, JD are vertically integrated. So you can sell on those platforms, you can use them as pay mechanisms like WeChat, and they simply rolled out other functionality like live streaming and then live commerce, which what they call KOLs over there, which are key opinion leaders, effectively influencers, started to use. And they started to use live streaming capabilities back then to sell products. And in many cases, they sold hundreds of millions and then billions and billions up to probably seven, up to really 900 billion in goods annually now are sold through Chinese live streams. And the idea, at least for me, back in 2015 and others, was to basically import the concept and expand it with new platforms into North America. And right around that time, Facebook and Twitter and Periscope and some other platforms were really starting to roll out. Facebook, Twitch we were on with live shows. So the idea, again, circulated probably eight years ago or so, and it's now having a renaissance as, frankly, the first go-around was not wildly successful, I'd say. I'm glad that you brought up the first iteration in social media platforms trying to do some sort of a live streaming video with a commerce integration. And specifically, I want to talk about Twitter. Much discussed because of the current, or I guess the former management at this point, where Elon Musk buys the company for, was it $63 billion or something like that? And then the valuation is cut to like 30. Right. And he has this dream of integrating uh, all sorts of different functionality into Twitter to make it the universal app. And now it's, I think the company is called Company X. It seems like the strategy here for Twitter is to take the social media platform, right? A billion people on the platform producing primarily text-based content, but uploading imagery and video as well, and converting that into some sort of, well, live streaming, communication, payments. Oh, we're talking about e-commerce now. Now we've got this sort of universal app. So is Elon Musk and his management team at Twitter basically running the Tencent playbook, the Alibaba playbook? Is that what you see? Yeah, I think that's exactly what he's doing. If you look back historically, there was PayPal, and then if you wanted to sell, you'd go onto another platform. As we've evolved now over the last 10 years or so, you have Shopify and other platforms in North America are becoming more integrated, whether it's through payment systems, logistic systems, or what they call 3PL, where you can store your goods. Now, most recently, Shopify announced a deal with Stage 10, which is a great company, actually, that does live commerce 
So the different bits and pieces are being aggregated together by separate entities. And I think Elon has always had in his mind, and I can't speak for him, obviously, because I don't know exactly, but it looks to me like he's piecing together through Twitter, the components to build up something that you'd see in China, and that the Chinese have had really for at least a decade now. So is the idea based on what you've seen in China, an influencer, what did you call it, a KPO? It's called a KOL, a key opinion leader. It effectively is the same. Okay. I'm going to go with influencer. Fine. An influencer pops up onto Chinese Twitter, starts a stream, says, I've got this great podcast microphone, and if you want a podcast like me, you should use this microphone. And there's some sort of an integration where he can upload the product, somebody could buy it, and he gets essentially a transaction fee for the purchase. What's key in the market is the ability to sell. So the influencers in China have the ability to not just go live, which frankly is a commodity now. It was cool when we first saw it in 2015, 2016. And now there are a multitude of platforms here in North America all vying for the same market. But the Chinese influencers really learned how to sell first and foremost, and they did it through a drop ship model. So they may have been holding a product trying to sell it to you, but it was then shipped from a third party. So it was a great model, asset light, and it's one that many are now trying to incorporate here in the States. All right. So tell me where we are in the States and what's the big blocker from having the type of live commerce experience that we have in China here stateside? Well, right now what's happened is there's just a plethora of options. I mean, I can go through a, what has become a very long list of platforms where any one of us now or a brand or a network can go live. Wowza, Talk Shop Live, Bamboozer, which is a publicly traded Swedish company. There's one I like here that's new in the States called Extremely iBuy, which is leveraging AI in order to buy products. So they're probably up to 20 offerings here in the States. And a number of brands and individuals are trying to build out their own networks, their own channels in order to sell products. I think it's proving to be very difficult. And I'd argue that most of that is cultural. The Chinese didn't have as many offerings or opportunities as we did, number of platforms. And so they naturally migrated towards live streaming on an Alibaba through what they call Taobao Live over there. Here, we just have too many opportunities, and it's very difficult and proven difficult for many of these parties to build audiences, and that's the biggest challenge. So is the problem audience size? You just need so many people watching. You need a high impression count to be able to get a transaction. The conversion rate is low, so it's just not worth the time. I've got 12,000 followers on LinkedIn. The chances of going live and catching a couple of them, the volume just isn't there to be able to get enough people to see the product I'm selling to actually make it worth the while. For the most part. I mean, there are some significant platforms. Obviously, YouTube is one of the leaders in this space where they just have massive numbers of viewers, but you still need to acquire your own audiences. They have the distribution, but they don't have the audiences. I think, Benjamin, in addition to the platform that you choose, you then have to have the right programming. That was going to be my next question. Is it the audience size? Because I feel like there's enough influencers that can go live that have large audiences, or is it just people here in the United States are not conditioned to see a live stream and then get into a commerce transaction. They're more in media consumption, not buying mode. Right. I think in comparison, you'll see something like shoppable video, which is really building itself in parallel to live commerce take off faster in North America 
it really has proven to be challenging. I think a lot of the programs, frankly, are just not stimulating enough and they're not always on. They're not 24-7. I think that ultimately live commerce will be just another channel mix in most brand and marketers distribution strategies. Getting the audiences is critical, and that's why the platforms are critical, but keeping them interested and really learning how to actually sell something has proven to be the most elusive for all of them. I mean, isn't this just QVC, right? Did, haven't we had this type of thing forever? I remember being a kid in the 80s watching the pitch man that died of the cocaine overdose. That was Billy Mays. Billy Mays, right? He could sell anything. Well, look, as I said, we got into this early around 2015, and I've been quoted as saying I wanted to be the next QVC on a live stream. So I'm as guilty as the next party in jumping into what I thought was the next big thing. I tend to focus on mass markets and mass hits. So to me, the ability to go live bypassing the traditional linear television or cable operators was an unbelievable opportunity, but it was very slow to develop. Shows would have very meager viewers, and I'm not sure that has changed all that much. Everyone tries to be the next HSN or QVC or pick your home shopping channel, but no one yet has been wildly successful. However, there are niches, collectibles, for instance, Fanatics is in that marketplace. There's a platform called Whatnot or Network where they may trade playing cards or sneakers which have what I would consider to be collectors who are transactionally oriented. There are also other niches like baking, maybe beauty or knitting even, where again, they're hobbyists who like to be almost like in a club with others like them, or they share a passion where you'll have commerce enabled around content and a community. The three things really have to align for there to be success. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. Yeah, what's going through my head is there's the connected TV experience where I'm watching a show 
and how do I figure out what the content is that's in the show? I'm watching Friends. I see a purple couch. I decide I want to buy a purple couch. How do I use my remote to click on it and see what the one in Friends is or a replica of it? And that's kind of like pie in the sky, merging linear television with e-commerce transactions. And then I think about the idea of social networks. Anybody that has an existing following can turn on a live stream and become a pitch man. And then the third one is the YouTube type content where people are actively searching for education and entertainment around specific verticals. How do you enable e-commerce in those sort of, hey, I'm looking to figure out how to play this song on guitar. Maybe I'm interested in buying the songbook or maybe I'm interested in buying the guitar that the person that played the song played originally. Which one of those three verticals do you think is most realistic to get traction? Is it connected TV? Is it social networks and transactions? Or is it the type of educational entertainment YouTube style content? Well, you mentioned a critical word, and that's entertainment. Commerce for just commerce sake is fairly bland. If you really do look at what has made QVC and others successful is that they know how to sell, but they do it in a very entertaining way. And it's not necessarily crass per se. There's some showmanship to it, like you mentioned, Billy Mays. I think that that model will transfer to probably more of a CTV-oriented platform. You'll have Roku and Hulu and others, which will enable clickable commerce. The technology is here now. I've seen it in numerous instances where even through an entire show, you can have everything tagged and someone can click and buy. Before, when I mentioned when we were on Facebook or Periscope or Twitch, they didn't really have built-in commerce capability in the platforms. So for someone to buy, it became incredibly like clunky. Now that is changing. I think, though, the cultures of a lot of the linear cable companies, and they've had a long time to try to catch up into this space. It's been at least 10 years. They're now slowly transforming themselves. But I do not think that they will be winners. I also do not think that a lot of the social platforms that we know and love, particularly Meta's platforms like Facebook and Insta, they've actually backed off of live commerce more recently, particularly on Instagram. I don't think they will be winners. I think you're gonna see some of the newer platforms, what is internet directed TV, fast channels, you know, really the new sort of streamers. Oroku would be a good example of that as someone who's not encumbered by their legacy past. And frankly, is probably more commerce centric than just content centric. And that is something that would slow the legacy players down. So I, I do see a new wave developing here. I also think that brands, I mean, I can see the advent now of what I would consider to be brand streaming networks, where Walmart just signed a deal with Talkshop Live over the last week, actually, to do a whole number of shows live in studios, I believe, and also in stores. So these RMNs, retail media networks that Walmart and Target and others have really developed, and I'm sure you're well aware of this space, I see those evolving much like originally TV did where brands drove programming. And because the technology now is so readily available, I don't think there's any barrier for big brands to either do it on their own or band together to really drive a lot of the change that we just talked about. It's direct-to-consumer commerce that's just being done in a different way. It's interesting. And now that you're talking about it, I'm thinking about sort of the immersive television and Apple has their new headset that just came out and the integration of virtual reality and instead of going to the grocery store, it feels like what's going to happen is you're going to walk through a virtual grocery store, call it live experience, live commerce, tap the Cheerios, flip around the box, be able to see the food ingredients, 
and then say, yep, I want to put this in my cart. And then at the end, you go through the conversion process and you never have to leave your house. And then your groceries are just delivered. Maybe this is the future of Instacart. Is it all, you know, you mentioned Walmart and their relationship with television. Obviously, Amazon has one as well. There are just so many different players that I feel like can be involved in this new wave of commerce that are leveraging the fidelity that is enabled now through our connected TVs, through our ability to put video on social networks and other video platforms. When you fast forward and you look into your crystal ball here, who are the big winners of live commerce in 10 years from now? I think that's the ultimate question. Amazon is now in its second go of trying to make Amazon Live a hit. Google TV has also been rolled out. A lot of the incumbents, if you will now, because they are incumbents around commerce or search, are not necessarily going to be the winners. The functionality is and will ultimately be commoditized. So it will be available to all. I do foresee more power moving into the hands of the brands. And I think it will all come down to ultimately who has the audience, the distribution size, and the ability, I would say, to entertain in order to sell. Because given that we're all humans, that is a critical component to it. So I see a new wave developing now. You know, to answer your question, I think there's some new players emerging that will get some traction probably over the next year. It's a fascinating time. Five years ago, when we had our first interview together, it was how can you quickly buy, cheaply buy television media? And now we fast forward half a decade, I guess. God, I can't believe it's been that long. And all of a sudden we look up and influencers are building brands. Brands are creating content. Social media platforms are becoming e-commerce companies. Twitter wants to get into payments. It just seems like Everything is sort of merging into this one conglomerate style experience. And maybe that's what you were talking about, where this is basically what's been happening in China, where there's just this universal super app where people and audiences sell products and take payments, and it's all going to be blended into one kind of universal experience. I think so. I think it's a very good time for experimentation. The pandemic may have driven a lot of this. The technology is there. As I mentioned, Walmart, they're doing their own shows and Shopify with Stage 10. Poshmark also recently started Posh Shows, which are more of an auction model, all live in order to get into this market. And even this week, YouTube just announced its first shoppable channel on Korean TV. And Korea and many Southeast Asian markets are sort of fascinating because a large portion of their commerce GDP is based around home shopping and home shopping channels. So their culture likes home shopping and they've taken very quickly to various live commerce platforms. But YouTube is testing there as well. So it is happening. People are jockeying for position. And we sometimes forget as Americans, the average American watches five hours of television a day. Five hours of television a day? Still. So the question is, what's television? Well, it's some of the platforms we mentioned earlier. It's Roku and Hulu. I think Roku has nearly 70 million households now. So it's a huge base doing over 3 billion in revenues a year. Some of these platforms are really going to be introducing new opportunities to sell products. And that will get us down the path of, well, what are the metrics one uses to judge success here? And those are just slowly evolving too, as this whole space continues to evolve. It's interesting to me that all the platforms are coming together and starting to think about not only how they can expand their platform and their core capabilities to be able to create content and build audiences, but now they're starting to think about how to sell products. 
And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Ronald C. Pruitt Jr., Managing Partner at the Boston Associates. Join us again tomorrow when Ronald and I continue our conversation talking about live commerce strategies for brands and influencers. If you can't wait till our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Ronald, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Ronald C. Pruitt Jr. That's R-O-N-A-L-D, the letter C, P-R-U-E-T-T-J-R. Or you can visit his company's website, which is Boston Associates with an S dot com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and you could even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.